Good morning and welcome to Stanley Park Community Church. I am Brad, I am the lead pastor here, and today I'm also going to be our craft pastor, right? All right, so I hope you got the memo. Uh, what you need is a piece of paper, scissors, a pen or pencil, and tape. If you want to pause right now, go right ahead. I think the stream will let you catch up later, um, but I, we need that. So if you want to get that all out and hold it up, uh, it's kind of like a kinesthetic exercise, right? Uh, so, join me in making a craft today. Hold up your piece of paper, everybody. Everybody, I hope you, I hope you have it. And uh, you fold it like so. All right, right? Like that, in half. All right, you take that paper then with your scissors. And you cut. Now, note where I'm cutting the open side. You cut up. And then you cut down. Then you cut up again. And then down, you might do better. I'm, I'm under pressure right now. You are sitting either with your family or at home, maybe with your dog or cat. Um, and then up and then down. This is great craft time, isn't it? Um, probably not what you guys expected, but every now and then it's good to change things up, right? So far, it looks like kind of like crocodile teeth and down. Perfect. All right, so now we have our, our little crocodile teeth, right? Well, you discard the part that folds, and you now have these two pieces loose. You take out your piece of tape. I think you, you know where this is going, don't you? You tape the ends nicely. Oh, Got to line them up. And there we go. And with that, we have ourselves a nice little crown. All right, everybody uh, feeling like you did well in the craft? Excellent. You can, you can put them on. I, I'm, don't worry, I won't, I'm not going to share today's message with it on. Uh, that's just kind of weird. But yes, you can have it on. You can put it on the sides. One of the great things, whether you have a big head, small head, uh, there's tape you can adjust accordingly. That's one of the brilliant things about this design. All right, so we, we made a crown. And uh, today we are talking about the good king. So it's kind of awkward right now. We're already talking about the good king. And uh, let's just say I'm not the good king and you're probably not the good king or queen, depending on whoever you are out there. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to look at the good king today. And I think before we get there, we can look at kind of the, the bad kings or bad stories and the build up towards why we need such a good king. Uh, that might be more fitting than the crown, right? So a bit of a picture before we even get to the passage today is understanding the history of God's people. So God chose a people. They were slaves. They were, they were people that were building bricks, and God said, I am going to make something of these people for my name's sake and to glorify myself through them. These people are the, the Hebrew people. Uh, they, they were brought out of Egypt by Moses. Now, they started with humble beginnings and challenges, and Moses was one of them, and, and God chose to use Moses to bring him out. But Moses protested as a leader. He says, God, I can't do this. I'm not very good at speaking. So then, out of protest, God says, all right, I, I will give you your, your uh, cousin, Aaron, and he will be a mouthpiece for you. He will be the guy that speaks for you. And they then led God's people out. And, and in that, there's, of course, challenges. Uh, part of it was actually because Aaron made a golden calf, a false idol, um, in this journey. So part of what Moses wanted as a leader to help him do his job 
also cause problems down the line. Uh, this is kind of a, an important theme to carry as we look at the way we, we faithfully follow God. So then God has his people and he has a promised land for them. And he says, like, go take the promised land. It's, it's time to go in. And the people get scared. And so then they end up wandering for a while, 40 years. And that group of people have a hard time, but God provides for them in the wandering years with food to eat and water to drink. And it finally comes time to do it, to enter the land again, and they go for it. Now, when they enter the land, God has directions for them. He, he encourages uh, some of the harder passages to happen in the Bible. Uh, basically, like a, a genocide is to, to wipe out the people in the land. And God's people do part of that. He tells them to like also like wipe out all of livestock. And they, they do part of that. And while we're not going to unpack that, and <laughs> it's hard to deal with, right, when we really look at what was being asked of the people. But they didn't fully do what God wanted. And so they're now in the land with people that aren't supposed to be in the land, and, and challenges arise out of that. And the, and the people are struggling, and they're in wars, they're in conflict, and they cry out to God, and, and God often um, allowed them to win a battle or kept them safe or protected them. And so that moves into the time where then God's people are established in the land, and there's still challenges because people are, aren't quite doing what God hoped or intended for them to do. And so they're, they're living there, they're having challenges, and we enter into this, the book in the Bible is called Judges, into this Judges cycle. Uh, the idea is that bad things are happening, either there's outside forces coming in, or their, their current leadership structure just isn't great. Um, that's being polite. Uh, and the people cry out and saying, God, why are we here? Why is this going like this? And God will raise up a man or a woman to lead his people to... Uh, to undo oppression and to bring in justice, to, to live more fully into what God desired for his people and for the land. And then time would go on and they'd spiral. It's the judge's cycle, a, a bit of a spiral down, and, and they would do their own thing. They'd lead their own style. The, the best verse in Judges 21, 25 to define the, the book of Judges and maybe even like the, the heart of God's people in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's Judges 21, 25. Right, so the, the, the cycle is, I do what I want. I, I, I live my own life. I, I do what I, it's my truth. I, I live the way I think I should. And somehow that gets them into trouble. Not, not just like before God, but like in relationship. Somehow that lifestyle, that idea that they were forming by, continued to dissolve and disintegrate. Where each time around, uh, when, when they call out and ask God to raise up somebody, and God raises up somebody, that, that, that new judge just isn't really that great. They're, they have warts and hang-ups, but they, they do the job enough to get the people kind of reestablished and more freedom and, and more just and more in the way God would like them, not perfectly. And then it would go on and they'd do that again and they'd cycle down time after time after time. A new judge would be raised up. People would kind of reform and then they'd disintegrate again. And so this has happened a bunch of times in, in Israel's history now. And we come to the point where there's, there's Samuel, and that's where we're going to be camping out, is in 1 Samuel 8, 10 to 22. If you want to start flipping your Bible open, or if you want to open up your app, that's where we're going to be. Uh, so we get to this time where Samuel's like leading the people. He's 
God's voice. He's a prophet. He's speaking for God amongst the people, helping them live more accurately, more closely to what God desires for their life in and through all these challenges that are now built up after years and years and years of, of complex situations. Let's just say that. And so Samuel's now kind of old. And as we get older, uh, people question what, what's going to happen next. And Samuel has some sons. There's a challenge in this is that Samuel's sons are not as righteous as he is. He's not, uh, his sons didn't seem to pick, on this, pick up this legacy that, that Samuel was laying down for them. They are, they are just as rotten as everybody else. Um, and so living in that, the, the people then decide they, these guys aren't going to be the guys that are going to help us live a good or enjoyable or whatever kind of life they were desiring there. And they, they've looked around and they, they came up with a good option. They want a king. So they approach Samuel. Like they, they believe that Samuel is God's anointed person. And so they, they, they come to him and say, hey, like you are the guy that would make this happen. So there's still like submission to God's leader, still submission to God's direction. But they have a heart that desires something different than what God intended to do here. So let's open up the passage. It's 1 Samuel 8, 10 to 22. And let's get into this. So in, in 1 Samuel, it says, Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariot. Some of them will be assigned to be commanders of thousands and commanders of 50. And others will plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still more will make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters as perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field and your vineyards and your olive groves and he will give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and he will give it to his officials and attendants, your males and female servants, the best of your cattle and donkey. He will take for his own use he will take a tenth of your flock, and you yourself will become his slave. All right, this is God's people way down the way. They were pulled out of slavery. Now they're, they're going to be put back into slavery is what it's saying here. And when that day comes, you will cry out. You will cry for relief in the, from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel, it says. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like other nations with kings who lead them and, and go out before them and fight their battles for them. And when Samuel heard this, what the people had said, he repeated, repeated it to the Lord. And the Lord answered and said, listen to them and give them a king. So I, I think maybe let's take a second and pray. And maybe today what I will do, just ask you to pray over our time. Um, ask you to invite God to help us understand what he is saying in, into our lives from this time and from this story and, and for us to understand what, what a good king is like. So I'll, I'll give you a few seconds to pray over our community. I like to do this from time to time because I really think this is how, how church and how our faith can work in a beautiful way. So I'm, I'm going to give you just a few moments to pray.
Amen. So, in, in this story, we, we have this challenge of terrible leadership. Well, good leadership, but then terrible sub-leadership, like middle management. Never a good thing, right? Uh, these sons, it, here's the best picture. is actually out of uh, just earlier in this passage, verse 2. His sons, so Samuel's sons, did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Like, this is not at all what you want to have in some sort of, like, leadership or middle management. And so the, the cycle continues where some, someone good or something decent is there, and then the next thing after that, it just goes down. So, like, you can't, you can't really blame the people for wanting, wanting something that's going to be a little bit more consistent, a little bit more um, long-lasting, because they want to live in kind of, like, the, the good of God. They want to have a good community. They want to live in a good society. Um, but they just are kind of tired of waiting, right? This is not a a new story at all in in Scripture already. Um, Throughout Scripture, we find God's promises, and then there's like a lag time. Like, he doesn't say, hey, uh, here you go, here's your things. I promised you just a moment ago. He kind of like leaves us into waiting. And if any of you, any of us, have ever waited on something, like more than a bus. Like even waiting for a bus is hard. It gets hard. There's a, a story of Abraham who was promised a son, and he's old, and his wife is old. And without getting into too much biology, at some point it becomes less and less likely it's going to happen. And so Abraham believes that God would do this, and his wife believed that this would happen, but they just knew that she was barren. It wasn't going to happen through her. So they said, all right, well, if God wants this, maybe you should have it with another woman. And Abraham, as best as he could understand, said this is a good idea. So they end up having a child named Ishmael. And if you know the story, they later have Isaac. Sarah, his wife, has Isaac. So now God has done what he said he was going to do, but he had also kind of blessed Abraham's plans. And throughout history, we've, we've seen a, a challenge between Ishmael and Isaac. We see uh, God's desire, but then also when men try to make it happen. When we, when we step in and try to accomplish God's blessing uh, without God or for God, uh, things just continue to like, disintegrate. They, they don't work out the way that God desired for the blessing to be lived. And for you and for me, like I'm sure at some point in your life and in my life, we we took something into our own hands, right? We, we thought God wanted something for us. It, it could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be all kinds of things. I, I can't even like name all the options, but there could be something that you and I have taken in our lives that God wants to bless, wanted to bless, and then we just kind of like ripped it out of his hands and into our timeline to try to make it happen. And, and sure, like the idea of living without it is a cost, and there's a, a fear and a worry, like, when will this ever come? Like, I'm getting older, like, what good is this blessing when I'm, like, about to die? But the, the cost of it ends up being, you know, not really worth it. Like, we, yeah, sure, we enjoy what we did with our own hands, but we, it costs us the ability to really engage with the blessing that God had desired for us. And so th- this group here, they, they desire a king, and and in Scripture, it doesn't really look like a king is a bad thing. Like, it even says at the beginning of the book that God intends to kind of have a king. 
But the challenge, once again, is like that Ishmael and Isaac thing is when God intends to do something, it's on his agenda, his timeline, and in his fashion. And for you and me, like, we hear it, we run to it. Like, I think that's also why God doesn't really give us, like, a, a very clear thing where we just get to, no matter what the cost is, like, we jump through bushes, jump over fences instead of taking the, the roads that he desires us to take. So here God allows him to have a king, and the desire of this king for the people is one that would uh, be for them. It would be one that allowed them to be like other people. It would be one that allows them to have kind of safety, one that kind of brings security. They want someone that can go to war for them. Something that basically this king has done everything that God does for them, just in a more predictable pattern. And so these, these, this community, they, they want to live um, in God's kind of direction. They want the things that God is about, but they just don't really like the mess that comes with it, um, which ends up making a bit more mess. But this is the context that then Jesus enters into, right? Uh, before Jesus, there was many judges. There had been a bunch of kings and a bunch of other religious leaders and people that have gone before him in, in the the history of God's people. And every one of them had failed. Every single one of them, even the best, like David, you know, that's one that comes to mind. He had failures, um, David and Bathsheba. There's multiple times where you see David's just not fully getting, like he did great, like it's, let's call that, but there's, there's times where he just doesn't live up to what God desires for, for his true righteous king. And so at this point, God steps in. Right? God literally walks on the earth. After a long awaited time, God still raises up someone to take that place. God raises up a judge. God raises up a king. God raises up his person to lead his people in righteousness, to lead his people into this land, to, live, to lead these people in a way of living out God's desired kingdom. And, and this moment happens, right? The, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his path. Right? This is a, a prophecy of what God was doing. The thing that we, we wanted to see happen finally happens hundreds of years later. And so Jesus walks the roads we walk. Jesus walks by the people that we have passed by. And Jesus heals the people that we couldn't, like the kings that we have, the, the systems that we have entrusted to make things happen. Jesus is now doing the things that was in their shortfalls, in their injustices, in the spots that they were blind. Jesus moves. Jesus looks even into our own lives in the ways that we won't. So we have this judge, we have this king, this prophet, this priest. The presence of the Lord is here before us. That is, that is what Jesus on earth tangibly, physically is. The one that we have been waiting for, the, the king that they truly, truly needed, the one that God wanted to give them, the one that would rectify the, the problems of those terrible leaders, the ones that would not pervert justice, ones that wouldn't take bribe. The king is truly here, and it is Jesus. And so I, I call him the good king, um, and that's what this, this passage or this uh, sermon is about, is the good, good king. 
And so it, we know that the bad king was going to take a whole bunch of things, that he was going to you know, claim his right, he was going to take 10%, he was going to have your children be his charioteers or war makers or whatever. And that's not the king that God wanted. So then, if Jesus is this king, as I submit he is, what is he like? What does he do? As we, as we look through scripture, we, we see a, a story of, of Jesus talking with children. Right? Like, yeah, kids are cute, right? I, I really like kids now all of a sudden. I don't know why, but I do. But in, in this time frame, kids would not be the ones that would get to go talk to a priest or a rabbi or a king. Like, they were lower class citizens. And, and Jesus would talk to them. Uh, there, there's stories about Jesus eating at tables, right? Oh, that's, that's nice. No, like, eating at tables with people that we wouldn't eat with. Like, the people that you would not invite into your house because you know your laptop's gone. Or people that you wouldn't invite to your house because, you know, when they, when they come in, they bring a smell. And, you know, that, that stain on the chair is not going to be easy to get out. Like, people that you wouldn't want to be around, Jesus is at that table with them. Right? And, then, and then Jesus is at parties. Like, he's out enjoying life, dancing it up. He's enjoying the people as they enjoy things. He makes water into wine, right? So this, this king, this good king, comes and lives among us. And not just like for a day. Like it's not like the story of the king that goes out and does a, a thing for a day uh, among the commoners. Oh man, that was so much fun. Like he came and as, a, as a, a baby. He grew up. He lived with us for 33 years, Right? It wasn't just for like a reality TV show. It wasn't just for a, a YouTube camera. It wasn't for moments. It was literally his life. He lived his life with us. And that's the thing. He came to be with us. He came to sit at dinner with you and with me, to, to be a part of our everyday activity, our everyday moments. And there's, there's another story in Scripture where they're actually at dinner with Jesus. And they had traveled, and Jesus gets up, and he washes their feet. Right? This, this is the king. This is God. This is the priest, the prophet, the judge, the, the, the all in all at the table, which is already huge. He gets up and he washes their feet. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you are sitting down right now because I've been talking for at least 15 to 20 minutes. So now picture at your feet as you're sitting here, Jesus. Picture him washing your feet. Is that hard? Picture it. Literally picture. If you have socks on, the socks are off. They're in Jesus' hands. What do you do? Do you protest like Peter? No, Lord. No, like you cannot do this. Or do you catch eyes with Jesus? Picture. Looking into his eyes and letting him love you. Letting him care for you. He draws closely. He draws closely with compassion. He knows where your feet have been. And he washes them. He knows all the filth. He knows every ounce of dirt on your foot. He knows every step you have ever taken. And he washes that for you. 
And then he gets up and he dines with you. He sits across the table. He wants to be with you. He is unlike any other king ever before. He is Jesus who wants to be with us. He is God incarnate who wants to be at our table. He wants to be with us in our living rooms. He wants to be in every moment, in every day. And here's even cool is he refused to become king any other way. In John uh, 6, 14 to 15, uh, after people saw the sign, this is the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing what they intended, came, intended, yeah, to come and make him king by force. So he withdrew to the mountainside. Jesus' kingdom is not won by force. Jesus' kingdom is one that comes by love and mercy and sacrifice and suffering and, and grace. Right? Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my command. Right? It's not a, you must follow my commandments. You must do all these things because I am king. He doesn't rely on his positional authority. It's relational. He says, a measure of your love will be the way that you follow me. The way that you care to be with me. The way that these moments when I wash your feet, when I look you in the eye, when I have dinner with you, that these moments are the moments that you show me love. That you live out these commandments from. This truly is a good king. This truly is the best king. Now here, as I, as I want to wrap this up, because my goal was 25 minutes, because I've been going along for a little while. Um, as I wrap this up, remember those crowns that we made? What or who have you made king in your life? Right? What do we thrust into power for sustainability, for comfort, just trying to hold on? Right? What do we put the crown on in our lives to make ourselves comfortable, to, to try to avoid the uncomfortable moments of waiting on God? It's often in the Bible we see that people make decisions. Um, yeah, they make decisions trying to address a problem. Ishmael Isaac, right? Uh, Sarah, again, like, when they, when they pretend that he's, uh, Sarah's a sister, right? They, they, they want to avoid danger. You have Jonah trying to avoid something so he ends up in the belly of a whale. You have Peter, like, wants to see Jesus not be taken by him, so he lops off an ear. Like, for you and for me, like, we, we, we respond and act out of moments that are in front of us. Rarely do we sit down and think about who we are going to king in our life or what, what we want to have as kings in our lives. It's more of those moments where we're up against the wall and we have, have some challenge before us that we make a split-second decision to crown something in our lives. Because we want to be able to know that it's going to be sure. We, know that, we want to know that it's at least going to be like other things in the world. And these, these moments that we do it, it it's, it's not that we want them to be king forever. But when we crown a king, it comes with a cost. As we look into our lives, we need to take time to identify what kings over the years of our lives have we made. 
we don't just have one king. I think we have a lot of kings in our lives. Some of them are like littler kings, like in this space or this opportunity, that guy will be king or this thing will be king. But as we continue to know and follow and love Jesus, we can only have one true king. Jesus wants to be king over all, over every little thing. And it's not that violent king. It's a loving king who washes your feet, meets you with grace, mercy, and compassion. So I want to encourage you to take some time and, and look at your life, to ask, ask even prayerfully, God, what have I named king? Maybe cash is king to you. Maybe you need like, that comfort of, of finance. Maybe comfort is your king. And so like anything else, you throw it out the window or align to dry and let comfort be part of your life. Perhaps health. Perhaps this past year has been just so hard, so scary for you that you are now banking every decision on health being king. Or reliability, that's part of what they had here. They really want to know what's coming. You just can't handle another unknown situation. So reliability is king in my life. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's school. If, if you're at school, maybe school grades are king in your life. Children could be king. Freedom, that's my right, could be your king. There is so many things in our lives that we can put into a, a power over us that will demand us and put us back into slavery. And so as we finish, I would encourage you to, to, to write down on the crown that you made a king that you have named in your life, a false king. One of those things that you threw into power just trying to get by. One of those things that you allowed to rule, direct your life. And then take time and pray over that and say, God, I want you to be king. Jesus, I need you to be king. Now, it won't be easy, right? Time and time and time and time and time again, we have a hard time waiting. But we have seen throughout history, throughout our own lives, that when we take things into our own hands, when we name kings that aren't the ones that God wants in our life, it doesn't get us to where we need to be. The spot we need to be is before the true king. The spot we want to be deeply in our hearts is in front of the good king. And we know that that king is willing to meet us. So I'm going to pray, and I just want to encourage you to, to take on this exercise. Name a false king, and then rip it up. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet with you. We, we thank you for being a God that is also our king. Lord, we thank you for being with us, for us. Lord, help us dethrone these false kings. Help us live into your kingdom. Help us know that you are the true, righteous, right king of our lives. May we live into the blessing of knowing you. May you fill our hearts with love and mercy and compassion. May you fill us with love for you and help us follow your commandments. Help us live into your kingdom and may there be a vibrancy that comes out of knowing that you are the good king. Amen. Thank you guys. I look forward to seeing you throughout the week and uh, having you back next Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless you and may the king truly reign in your life.